Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Unfortunately, we are into our off-season ramp-up episodes. The season didn't quite go the way we thought it was going to go, did it? No, unfortunately, the Indians end up with a record under 500. They finished the season at 80 and 82 in second place in the American League Central with a run differential, by the way, of minus 10 on the season. So, man, they kept it close. But unfortunately, this just was not our season. And that's that's kind of what I want to talk about in our first post-season wrap-up episode here. You know, I was debating, do I start with the pitching? Do I start with the hitting? And what I really wanted to talk about, and again, storylines, right? One of the big things on this podcast all year has been about storylines. And one of the big storylines that I saw develop out of this year It was an opportunity to find out about some guys, to answer some questions about players on the field. Once the Indians traded Lindor, and once they really didn't make much of a reinvestment into the team, right? they bring back Cesar Hernandez, which was a smart, logical move at the time. They find Eddie Rosario, you know, right at the end of free agency, right as spring training is getting going. They they basically pull him off the scrap heap. They gave him a fair chunk of money, but eh, he wasn't really, uh, nobody was really, you know, sought after as a player. Um, so, yeah, they really didn't make any kind of big investment into the team once Lindor left. It kind of signified that. We we felt the fans the the fans thought it was a rebuild season. Some of us that you know pay attention a little bit closer. Now I'm talking about the the like sports talk radio fans. You know the people that would call in in ninety two three. You know those people thought oh it's a rebuild. Oh the cheap Dolans. Oh we're rebuilding this team as soon as Lindor was traded. Those of us that know know that we actually got some major league talent back for Lindor. It's something we're going to talk about here. And know that what Antonetti was trying to do was maybe take uh, a regression year. Not really a full rebuild. Not what the Texas Rangers are doing right now or the Baltimore Orioles are trying to do. Or even what the Detroit Tigers have been going through for the last few years after trading Scherzer and you know losing Scherzer and Verlander. Um, where they've gone into rebuild modes. This was a regression year, a year to kind of step back. Hey, if it worked, it worked. If we chased the White Sox for the pennant all year, great. Even makes Antonetti look even better. But we didn't. We hung, we hung with them for a while, but we didn't. Ultimately, we weren't really in playoff contention when it came down to things. And it was a year, though, to answer questions about guys that have been on this roster for a little bit now. Guys that have been knocking on the door, you know, maybe at the top of the minor league system or at the major league level for a little bit now. And it was a year to answer some questions about those guys and see what you have to come back and be a competitor in 2022. I think the ultimate goal of this season was to be a competitor for the American League Central title in 2022. So with that being said, Before we get into, we will, we're going to do an entire pitching episode, we'll do an entire hitting episode, we'll do our MVPs for the season on both pitching and hitting, but before we get into that, I wanted to do an episode where we look at some of those players and we answer questions about those guys, 
We did, you know, we answer the question, is that guy someone we want to make an investment in? Is that someone we want around on this baseball team? Are they going to help us win in 2022? Or have we seen enough and we're kind of done with them? We can let them ride off into the sunset. You know, maybe, maybe don't have to tender them a contract for next year with this crunch on the 40-man roster and all these prospects that you have to protect on the 40-man roster for these Rule 5 drafts. Maybe some of these guys... We don't necessarily need next year. We could make an investment in those positions via trade or free agency uh, a different way. So uh, with that being said, let's get into some of these names. Uh, we are going to look at the Lindor trade, but I'm going to save that for the end. And uh, you know, for this, I'm not going to really look at the second base position because I think those guys were a little bit too young, right? The The hope was that Cesar Hernandez would kind of anchor second base for two seasons. When we fell out of playoff contention, it made sense to trade him. It was a very tradable contract with the option year. Um, so that, that made all the sense in the world. But I think Owen Miller and Ernie Clement were just getting their first taste of, uh, you know, Major League action. I don't think it's worth judging them yet. Uh, obviously, Arias is going to be in the conversation next year. Andres Jimenez, we will talk about briefly when we talk about the Lindor trade, so we'll get to him. Um, but there's going to be like four names really in contention for that second base job, maybe five if you throw Yu Chang in there. And Yu Chang, I'm not going to be too hard on because I don't see him as a pivotal player in this infield. I see him as a quality utility infielder, but you never know, one day it could just work it could just click and pop off and he could be second base or whatever uh for the next few seasons but I, I don't see him as being a pivotal part a big guy that you have to make a decision on I think Chang is someone you can easily make your utility infielder and be happy about so let's get into some of these guys we're going to start with two pitchers here two pitchers that they definitely needed to find out something about and one of them wasn't even in the starting rotation when the season kicked off. And I'm talking about Cal Quantrill. Cal Quantrill, who came over from the San Diego Padres, right, was definitely someone that you needed to find out about. You had to see, is this guy going to stick at the major league level? Because I don't think the 2020 season, he came over in the 2020 season, he came over in the Mike Clevenger trade, and in 2020, you didn't really get much out of him. He was pitching out of the bullpen. Uh, he pitched in eight games, including two stars. Had a 184 ERA in 2020 for us. Only pitched 14 innings. So, I mean, really not much uh, you can see there. Most of that was relief work. So now in 2021, he finally gets uh, some games under his belt. He has to start in the bullpen. He loses out the spring training battle to Logan Allen. He has to start in the bullpen, but he ends up making 22 starts on the season and frankly might be, he might have been the ace of this staff as the season rolled on. And uh, when you look at some of, well, first the, the counting stats, right? He finishes the season eight and three with a 289 ERA in 40 games, but 22 starts, 149 innings pitched, just one, one out shy of 150 innings pitched with a 1.18 whip. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. As far as the percentile rankings go, uh, there is a lot of red in this percentile ranking. Um, 
you know, his hard hit rate was 81st percentile, which means he's limiting hard hits. The expected weighted on base percentage, things like this are 58, uh, 58th percentile for expected ERA, 48th percentile for expected batting average. So right around middle of the pack there. Um, where did he excel? Really, he didn't have a very high whiff rate. Only 19th percentile in the whiff rate, but controlled walks with a 60% walk rate. So did okay there. Nothing really pops in the percentile rankings, but the quality of his starts was really, really good. Um, his most effective pitch when it came to things like batting average and stuff like that was probably his slider. They hit 204 off of his slider, um, only slugged 315. The only pitch they slugged less off of was his curveball. Had a whiff rate of 30.5% on his sink on his slider. So a really good slider as his best pitch. Uh, it was really a fantastic season for Quantrill once he started. Once he got into that starting position, uh, things really took off for him. Looking at the splits by month, um, you know, his ERA was a little bit high in June. A 7.20 ERA in June. But once July kicked in, this guy took off from July on for the second. You know what? Let's just look post-All-Star break. It's easy. 7-1 and one with a 194 ERA in 14 starts. 88 innings pitched. Had a 1.03 whip post-All-Star break. So, if you want to answer a question about Cal Quantrill... The answer is yes. He is absolutely going to be a starter for the Cleveland Indians come next season. Honestly, might be your number two or number three starter. I think Plesak has regressed a little bit. I think this season was a big struggle for him. I think Savali um, probably is your number two. And I think Quantrill is probably your number three. Obviously, it'll depend how they do in spring training. to see where they kind of line them up. But Cal Quantrill post-All-Star break, one of the best pitchers in baseball. So question answered about him. All right. The next guy we got to ask a question about is Tristan McKenzie. We had to know about Tristan McKenzie, right? Comes up, does amazing in 2020. Uh, just absolutely amazing in 2020. Uh, two and one with a three, two, four ERA and six starts, just blowing guys away, right? 42 strikeouts, a 0.90 whip. So, was this just an anomaly? Was this just the guy's first time up? What is he going to look like over the course of an entire season? Well, it was a roller coaster ride for Tristan McKenzie. There were times this season where, honestly, it looked like he wasn't going to make it. It looked like he had in June in one start. All right, this isn't fair. He had one start in June. Uh, he faced six batters, only two thirds of an inning, uh, but a 13.5 ERA for the month of June. For the month of May, a 7.56 ERA, one in three on six starts that month, a 144 whip. So it's not looking good. But then he comes back in July, comes back in August, and is spectacular in August. A two in one month with a 193 ERA in August, four starts, uh, a 0 0.50 whip. Remember, walk, hits per inning pitch. That is insane to be under one, a half a point for his whip. That's an insane month of August. When McKenzie locks in, one of the best young pitchers in baseball. But 
But when he loses his control, he really, really struggles. Absolutely struggles. Weirdly, much better on the road than he was at home. One and four on at home, four and five on the road. Now, wins aren't necessarily everything here, but also much better during day games. Four and three in day games, one and six in night games for the season. So, interesting there. We'll see how that shakes out over the course of his career. Um, I thought that was just a weird split for him. As far as his percentile rankings, the things he did best at, strikeouts, chase rate, and whiff rate, all in the red. K percentage was up at 77th percentile. Uh, so one of the better pitchers in baseball when it came to getting guys to chase, whiff, and st- ultimately strike out. Now, with that being said, his barrel percentage was very low. Uh, his walk rate was the 14th percentile. Barrel percentage was the 18th percentile. So this guy got hit hard sometimes, and he walked way too many people. Now, it's about mechanics. What we heard all season from McKenzie is it's about mechanics, and it's about repeating those mechanics throughout the game, right? So I say with a question, the big question on him, the answer absolutely, the question would be, can he make it an entire season, right? Can he stick at the major league level the entire season? I would say the answer to that is he still has got a lot to, he still has a lot to work on. He still has a lot. He's got to be able to be the pitcher he was in August over the course of an entire season. Now, we don't expect him to have a 0.5 whip the entire season, but he needs to be a lot closer to the pitcher he was in August than the pitcher he was in May over the course of the entire season. Everybody has bad games. It's all right. Savali got blown up some games. Bieber even gets blown up some games. It's fine. It happens. But the consistency needs to continue to be there for Tristan McKenzie. Probably looking at the fifth starter spot again, battling with Eli Morgan for that fifth starter spot. So I don't know if the question is exactly answered on Tristan McKenzie, but the the uh, the question of is he someone we want to continue to invest in? Absolutely. I mean, when he is locked in, one of the best in baseball. So that's my answer on Tristan McKenzie. Definitely someone that I want to invest a lot more time in and a lot more opportunities in. So those were two of the big pitchers that I think you really needed to answer some questions on. Now, the next set of guys you need to answer questions on are in the outfield, and it's Oscar Mercado, it's Bradley Zimmer, and it's Harold Ramirez. Now, I believe Mercado and Zimmer are out of options. So these guys are either on your major league roster or they're not. Harold Ramirez, I don't know if there's an option year left on him, but at this point, it's pretty much on your major league roster or not. Now, uh, what's weird about this whole thing, all of them have something that's a little bit weird about them. Uh, Harold Ramirez, his percentile rankings are off the chart in some of these things. Hard hit rate, 81%. Max exit velocity, 94th percentile. Average exit velocity, 85th percentile. This is in all of baseball. I mean, we've seen it. When he makes contact, it is always hard. Now, here's the opposite things. Expected weighted on base percentage for Harold Ramirez, 25th percentile. Expected slugging, 34th. Chase rate, first percentile. Worst in baseball at chasing. And we've seen it. We've seen Harold Ramirez swing at some balls that are in the other batter's box. Outs above average, 12th percentile. So Harold Ramirez is quite frustrating here. Yes, he had a high batting average, 268. But when we look at his on-base and his slugging and his hard hit rates, 
Um, his hard hit rate is insane, 47.2% hard hit rate. But uh, was it enough? Was it enough from Harold Ramirez? When we look at Bradley Zimmer, it gets bad. K percentage, first percentile. However, average exit velocity, 75th percentile. So he could hit a ball really hard, but he also struck out a ton. Expected batting average, 10th percentile in all of baseball. Whiff percentage, 3rd percentile in all of baseball. Um, But outs above average, 94th percentile. So huge strikeout guy, huge hard hit guy, but really good on defense. Really good defender out there in right field this year. His batting average was only 227, a 325 on base, and a 344 slugging. Makes for a 669 OPS. The bizarre thing, Oscar Mercado. Also, a 669 OPS. Now, he did it with a slightly less batting average, 227, compared to 224 for Oscar Mercado. Uh, he did it with a slightly less on base percentage to Bradley Zimmer, but a slightly higher slugging percentage. Um, which is crazy because the hard hit rate is so much less um, for Oscar Mercado. His hard hit percentage is only 27.7, whereas... Uh, Bradley Zimmer's hard hit percentage was up at 42.5. The K rate for uh, Bradley Zimmer was up at 35.1, where for Oscar Mercado, it was down at 17.6. So Oscar Mercado definitely did a better job of not striking out, cut down on strikeouts, I could tell you that much. But he still, there, there's nothing here there's nothing here that separates Oscar Mercado from Bradley Zimmer. I can tell you that Oscar Mercado, looking at his spray chart, pulled the ball a ton. This guy was leaning heavily on pulling the ball. 43.9% pull rate. Uh, up the middle, 30.6%. Uh, and opposite field, 25.4%. Compare that to Bradley Zimmer, who... Uh, only pulled the ball 38.1%, used the center of the field 37% of the time, and went opposite field 24.9% of the time. So Zimmer, looking at his spray chart, Jeff definitely did a better job of using the whole field. A lot of hits up the middle, including three monster, monster home runs up the center, up in the center field. Um, Oscar Mercado, all his home runs were pulled down the left field line. He's more of a line drive hitter. We know this about Mercado. We needed Mercado to be more of a contact guy, more of a high batting average guy. It's just not there. And I don't know. I don't know which one of these players you want to make more of an investment in at this point. Mercado's younger. He's only 26. Zimmer, 28 years old, so a little bit older. Um, I'm kind of leaning. And then Harold Ramirez is 27, right, in the middle of them, right? Hard-hitting everything. But frankly... Harold Ramirez was rough on defense. Harold Ramirez was really rough on defense. He made some lousy, lousy reads on the ball in left field. Frankly, if it's me, if I'm Antonetti and Chernoff, I'm looking at what else is out there in the outfield. I don't think any of these three guys did anything this season to say you need to make an investment in them. That you need to. If you choose to, that's your decision. If you see something, if you've had conversations with them, if you you know have a gut feeling about one of these guys finally developing into the promise of the player that we think you know is there, 
then fine, go for it. But I don't think any of them proved this season that you need to make an investment in them. You know, Harold Ramirez had the high batting average, but, um, you know, it just didn't translate into a lot of RBIs. It didn't translate into a lot of runs. I mean, he only has seven home runs. Him and Bradley Zimmer had similar amount of plate appearances. Uh, 348 for Bradley Zimmer, 361 for Harold Ramirez. So similar plate appearances here. Seven home runs for Harold Ramirez, eight home runs for Bradley Zimmer. 35 RBIs for Bradley Zimmer, 41 RBIs for Harold Ramirez. 91 hits for Harold, only 68 for Bradley Zimmer. So, yes, he got some more hits. But the RBIs, the actual production, uh, is pretty similar. If I jump over to fan graphs and we look at WRC+, weighted runs created plus. Remember, plus stat is where the league average is set to 100. This, we can see the value that they brought to the team. And guess what? It's so close between these guys. Harold Ramirez had a WRC plus of 90. Bradley Zimmer had a WRC plus of 89. And Oscar Mercado had a WRC plus of 84. All of these guys are below league average. All of them are right around each other. And just for fun, Josh Naylor, I know he didn't have a very, you know, as many at-bats as these guys with the big injury. He was also at 90 for WRC plus. So... I don't see, you know, making a big investment in any of these guys. I honestly would be okay if they went out via free agency and trade and rebuilt this outfield around Miles Straw. I would be okay, frankly, letting all of these guys walk off into the sunset. I really would. I have a, li- you know, obviously there's a little bit of an emotional tie to Zimmer and Mercado because we draft, you know, we we didn't draft Mercado, but we've had him for a while, right? We traded for him while he was still in the minors. We've seen him come up. He made his Major League debut with the Cleveland Indians. He was a big part of that 2019 team. And, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Zimmer, a number one draft pick of the Indians. Yeah, so there's a mo- some emotional investment there. But if I had to pick one of the three to continue making an investment in, it might be Mercado just because he's the youngest. And we've we've seen him have production at the major league level, right? Like you forget his 2019 season was pretty good. He hit 269, had a 761 OPS, had 15 home runs that season, 25 doubles uh, in only 482 plate appearances. So a really good season, 70 runs scored for him. Remember he was hitting at the top of the lineup then? Um, yeah, so we've seen it from Mercado, and it just has not been there the last two seasons. It's been brutal the last two seasons. But could you get him back to that player? Could you get him back to that 2019 season? Now, uh, I can tell you in 2019, his expected numbers were all pretty low. He was, you know, in the percentile rankings, he was very low in a lot of things. So um, maybe not. Uh, maybe some of those numbers are a bit of a, a mirage because he was a rookie, and then what you've seen recently is the true numbers for him. But he's only had, you know, 2020 was a weird season. He's only really had two major league seasons to try to figure things out at this level. So I think of all three guys, Mercado would be the one I would keep around. Frankly, I'd let Zimmer, and I would let Harold Ramirez ride off into the sunset, and I would try to rebuild this out, outfield in the offseason. That hopefully is a huge, huge focus of Antonetti and Chernoff. All right, the last guy I want to talk about here, a guy you had to find out about, was Bobby Bradley. 
Now, he's 25 years old. This is really his first taste of the major leagues. I mean, uh, in the 2019 season, he played in 15 games. So not really a fair shake. Didn't get a chance in 2020. Now he got 74 games this season. How did he do? The batting average was not great. 208. 208 batting average. The on-base percentage was not that high, 294. But this dude slugged 445 this season for a 739 OPS. He had 16 home runs at 41 RBIs. Really, really did a good job of using the whole field. Hit a lot of singles and doubles to the opposite field. Hit a bunch of home runs to left center field. Actually used the entire, most of the entire outfield. I'd say from left center field all the way around to the right field foul pole. Used the whole outfield for home runs. And, uh, you know, did a good job of going opposite field for some base hits. I thought that, let's go to his splits because I'm wondering how he did per month here. Um, when he came up in June, it was really good. Hit eight home runs in that month of June and then cooled off. Uh, he never had more than three home runs in any month after that. I guess you can kind of tie October in with September there at the end of the season. I mean, it was only eight plate appearances in October, technically. So he had four home runs for for the last month of the season. Um, but yeah, the batting average does fall off a little bit. In August, he gets hot again and hits 276 for the month of August uh, with a 724 OPS. So he was a little bit streaky. And what's hard is you put him with uh, Fermil Reyes, who is also a very streaky hitter. If these guys are on cold streaks at the same time, it's really going to hurt. Now, obviously, if they're on hot streaks at the same time, this offense is going to look like murderer's row. So, yeah, it's uh, a little bit of a streaky season for Bobby Bradley. He did hit better against righties, but he didn't get much of a chance against lefties. Now, they they really kept him on the bench a ton and played Yu Chang a lot versus lefties. Only had 78 plate appearances against lefties versus 201 plate appearances against righties. But uh, the batting average was much better against righties. 226 versus 162 against lefties. But wait, wait, the slugging percentage. 426 against lefties, 452 against righties. So he could still slug against the lefties. Still had five home runs against left-handed pitching. So don't count him out yet against lefties. Do not count him out yet. We want to see this guy get 500-600 at-bats, and see what he can do. Absolutely worth the investment. This guy, if this guy is not your starting first baseman for the entire 2022 season, it'll be a shame. It'll be a waste. It'll be a travesty. This guy needs the opportunity. Only 25 years old. Do not give up on Bobby Bradley yet. Yes, it's going to be streaky. Absolutely. Power hitters are streaky. It happens. I don't know if this guy's going to turn into, you know, like an Abreu in Chicago where he's an MVP candidate. But could he be just that big power hitting threat that you always have to worry about that is always lurking for a big moment, a big home run to change the momentum of the game, right? That's the kind of hitter that uh, Bobby Bradley could turn into. Remember that WRC plus stat we were talking about with the outfielders? He pulled in a 99 WRC plus. For a guy that's really in his first taste of the major leagues, that's not too shabby. 
not too shabby. So Bobby Bradley, definitely someone I would continue to invest in. Now, the last thing we got to talk about about this season and things we had to find out about was trading Francisco Lindor. Could the Indians survive a Francisco Lindor trade? Now, remember, in this trade, they do not just get back Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez. They also get back a right-handed pitcher, Josh Wolf and outfield prospect, Isaiah Green. Don't forget that's part of this trade. Yes, they also traded away Carlos Carrasco. Now, the big, obviously, the big names in this trade, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, when you compare the season that Lindor had versus the season Ahmed Rosario had, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. First, Ahmed Rosario just played in more games. Lindor had more injury problems. Uh, he had 588 plate appearances to 524. So, uh, yeah, uh, more opportunities there. Uh, and did more with it. Hit 282 for Ahmed Rosario compared to Francisco Lindor, 230. But uh, when the OPS numbers come in, it actually kind of evens things out. Francisco Lindor had a 734 OPS. Versus Ahmed Rosario's 731 OPS. We know Ahmed Rosario is more of a speed guy. We know Lindor is more of a power hitter. 20 home runs to 11 home runs. All right, fine. So Lindor slugs more. When we look at that OPS plus stat, uh, when we take everything set to league average, they're right next to each other. Lindor is at 101. Ahmed Rosario is at 99. Now, when we get into some fun things like wins above replacement and all sorts of stats like that, uh, for War, Lindor was a 3.1 this season. Interesting. Ahmed Rosario was only a 2.1. So still a really positive wins above replacement number. Um, that's, you know, War is one of the best measures of how a player did in a season and compared to each other. And uh, that's a 2.1 is a good number there. Now, what's interesting, on baseball reference, there's a second kind of War number. You have offensive war and defensive war. Now, the defense is what hurts Ahmed Rosario here. He had a negative 0.2 defensive war, where Lindor had a 1.0 defensive war. So we know Lindor is a fantastic, I mean, generational defensive player. Ahmed Rosario is not. He held his own, though. He held his own. Offensively, he was more value. Offensive war, he was a 3.0. Lindor was a 2.7. So he really did create more value on offense than Francisco Lindor did. There's other things, too. Um, you know, stolen bases. He was even better on the base path. 13 stolen bases was not caught at all. In fact, I can't believe it's only 13. How is this not, guy not often running more? Lindor was only at 10 stolen bases, was caught four times. So he added some value on the base paths for you. Um, so yeah, it's it's comparable, but Ahmed Rosario, frankly, I think had the better season. Lindor still is the better defender, so he gets his ward numbers up there with his defense. But I think Ahmed Rosario at the plate really delivered one heck of a season for the Cleveland Indians. So uh, could they survive without Francisco Lindor? I think the answer is yes. I don't think Lindor on this team makes them in the division race all of a sudden. I don't think they beat the White Sox for the American League Central Division because Lindor was here as opposed to Ahmed Rosario. I think Ahmed Rosario really gave them uh, some some really good base running and some really good effort at the top of the lineup and at shortstop. I'm, I'm very happy with the season Ahmed Rosario had. 
Uh, Andres Jimenez struggled. Yes. Yes, he struggled. He uh, he only had a 218 batting average, 282 on base, way too low, 351 slugging. It's good for a 633 OPS. So, yes, he struggled. OPS plus only a 73. So, well below league average. But here's the thing about Andres Jimenez. This was his year. This was his age 2022. Or, sorry, 2022. This was his age 22 season. Andres Jimenez just turned 23 in September. So it was his age 22 season. Jose Ramirez in his age 22 season. We got to go back to 2015. But this is the comparison between the two. Andres Jimenez at age 22 hit 218. Jose Ramirez at age 22 hit 219. 282 on base percentage for Jimenez. 291 for Jose Ramirez. 351 slugging for Jimenez. Only 340 slugging. For Jose Ramirez, 633 OPS for Jimenez, 631 OPS for Jose Ramirez. I mean, that's almost scary how identical. Five home runs for Andres Jimenez, only six home runs for Jose Ramirez. Did add in a few more doubles and triples, but uh, right there, I mean, almost identical uh, when it comes to home runs. Stolen bases, 11 for Jimenez, 10 for Jose Ramirez. He was caught four times. Andres Jimenez was not caught at all stealing. The Indians did a fantastic job of stealing bases this year, frankly. Uh, so it's very comparable. Very comparable. Now, Jimenez struck out a lot more. The one thing about Jose Ramirez, ready for this? This is probably how you knew there was something lurking there. 32 walks to 39 strikeouts. That's a really good ratio right there. Uh, 50, uh, it's 11 walks to 54 strikeouts for Andres Jimenez. That is not good. That is something he's going to have to work on there. Uh, so yeah, so a strikeout to walk ratio for Andres Jimenez, a 4.91, a strikeout to walk ratio of 1.22 for Jose Ramirez. That is an indication that Andres Jimenez has some stuff he still needs to work on. You cannot be striking out at that high of a rate if you're going to reach your potential. So, I thought it was interesting. I think Andres Jimenez is way too young for us to be making any kind of decisions on. Same thing about Owen Miller and, you know, Arias and Ernie Clement. Like, these guys are too young to make the kind of decision. Zimmer and, you know, Harold Ramirez and Mercado, these guys are up in their mid to late 20s here. These guys at second base are, like, in their early 20s. These are kids. There's a lot of growth that's still going to happen here. So... That's why we're not being too hard on Andres Jimenez. Um, Josh Wolf pitched in low A. He went 1-3 and three with a 535 ERA and 17 starts with a 1.63 whip. But this is down in Lynchburg, um, you know, a low A ball. He hasn't even made it to Lake County yet. So this guy has a lot of time before we're making any judgments on him. And then Isaiah Green, same thing. This was his first taste of professional baseball this season. He got drafted in 2020. So he was in Arizona Rookie League. Now, in the Arizona Rookie League, he hit 289 with a 421 on base, 368 slugging for a 789 OPS. Not a home run guy, only one home run, but nine doubles throw in there. Um, he stole five bases, was caught four times. Uh, 35 walks to 42 strikeouts. So a really, that's a good strikeout to walk ratio right there. Um, so yeah, so uh, this guy, Isaiah Green, has a lot of promise. 
a lot of promise as a prospect for the Indians. He's ranked on the Indians' top 30 prospects. They've got him at 28. Josh Wolf, the pitcher who came over in the Lindor trade, is not in the top 30 rankings. So, uh, yeah, those guys have a long way to go before we make any judgments on them. But you never know. Isaiah Green could turn into a fantastic outfielder for the Cleveland Indians. He's expected to reach the major leagues by 2024, according to, you know, the prospect ranking lists here. Um, So, yeah, so we've got a long, long road to go before we ever judge the Francisco Lindor trade. And this can be one of those situations where Green or Wolf could easily be packaged in another trade. It could be a thing where, you know, 10 years from now, we're tracing back to Francisco Lindor for some future all-star, you know, how he came to the Cleveland Guardians. So, yeah, it's a long road to kind of judge the Lindor trade. But the question, the question we asked at the top of the episode is, could the Cleveland Indians survive the 2021 season without Francisco Lindor? And I think the answer is yes. I mean, if you go back to this article, oh my God, the pros, the the hope that they had. This is from Anthony DeComo on uh, MLB.com. Uh, talks about uh, the vision of the New York Mets is rapidly coming true. In by far the boldest stroke of the Cohen era to date, New York acquires shortstop Lindor and pitcher Carlos Carrasco from Cleveland. I mean, they are talking like Lindor is going to turn around New York City. Like he's going to save Brooklyn. That's how they're talking about Lindor. And we all know that that did not happen. The Mets were a disaster of a team this year. And Lindor, I mean, with the thumbs down to the fans and all that, Mr. Smile is gone. He was trending that way for a while while he was in Cleveland, right? You know, it's just the, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to speculate anything on Lindor. We're done with that. We are done with that. We are moved on from that. He has a massive contract in New York. And the Indians, boy, have a lot of financial flexibility right now, don't they? They have got to make some decisions, make some moves, and uh, improve this roster. All right. Uh, The last thing I'll say is that there are still questions out there to be answered about some of these players. We'll see what answers Antonetti gives us by the moves he makes this offseason. Does he even tender contracts to Mercado, Zimmer, and Harold Ramirez, right? He has an option of not tendering him a contract and letting him walk away. Does he go to arbitration with some of these guys? Um, You know, his actions, does he start packaging trades for outfielders? Does he start looking at free agents in the outfield? His actions are going to tell you the answers that the front office came up with, you know, not just what a podcaster came up with. So we'll see what they do there. Um, So, yeah, so this was a fun episode. Thanks for kind of coming on this journey with me, looking at some different players. It was kind of an interesting wrap-up episode. We'll do more of a traditional wrap-up episode maybe next weekend when we talk pitching, and then the weekend after that we can talk hitting and kind of wrap up and put a bow on the 2021 season with our MVPs for pitching and our MVPs for offense. The last thing I want to talk about is the postseason, the MLB postseason going on right now. These Dodgers-San Francisco games are killing me trying to stay up and watch these things. I think I've fallen asleep on the couch twice now with a Dodgers-Giants game playing on the TV. Um, On the American League side, I am so glad that the Yankees got bounced in the wild card. 
game. That was so satisfying. The Red Sox and Tampa Bay are slugging the crap out of each other, right? I mean, Tampa Bay looked relentless to start. Even Jordan Luplo got a grand slam. Come on. Off a lefty, of course, off Chris Sale. Uh, But Boston came storming back in that game, Uh, even the series at 1-1. The White Sox are just getting, you know, hit all over the park by Houston. It's a brutal, you know, battering offensive attack by Houston. They're just hitting everything. That's what they do. These guys just hit. And, uh, man, Michael Brantley, he is such a good ball player. I mean, going back, that might be one of the biggest mistakes Antonetti has ever made and will ever make in his career by not locking up Michael Brantley, thinking that the injuries were too much, we're going to slow him down too much, and not locking up one of the best hitters, I mean, arguably in baseball, right? Such a smooth swing. Uh, He may not be a Hall of Fame, might not put together the Hall of Fame numbers, but when... It'll be one of those things when we're all like in our 70s and our 80s and they ask us who's one of the best hitters when you were young. I think the name a lot of us might pull is Michael Brantley, right? And they'll be like, who is that? I'll be like, you got to see some highlights, kid. Uh, so the White Sox look like they can get bounced out of this thing uh, pretty quickly by Houston, who's up to nothing. It's a good battle going on between LA and San Francisco. Here's what I want to say about LA. Here's my last thought about this. Uh, And then it's a good pitching duel right now going on between Atlanta and Milwaukee. It's a really good pitching duel. But now we've got through the first two starters. Let's see what they do with the next set of pitchers. Um, Here's what I want to say about the Dodgers. Everyone was complaining. I saw a lot of articles and tweets complaining about the Major League Baseball playoffs. The fact that the Dodgers win 100 games and yet they're in this one game wild card you know, winner-take-all game against the St. Louis Cardinals, and it's unfair. It's unfair to the Dodgers. They should do, you know, reseeding or blah, 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 or other playoff formats. No. No. Major League Baseball still exists in a world where divisions matter, and that's fun. That's fun to be chasing division titles. The fact that we won all those division titles means something back in the 90s, right? Means something in the mid-20-teens. Winning your division is still important, and the Dodgers had every opportunity to catch the San Francisco Giants this season, and the Giants were just a better team. And now the LA Dodgers have to face the consequences of that by going into a one-game playoff in the wild card. I'm sorry, you faced, I think they played each other 19 times, and the Giants won the season series. They won the season series over you. You don't deserve to be the number two seed in the playoffs. You had an opportunity over 162 games, and you couldn't you couldn't catch them. You couldn't outplay a team in your division. So therefore, you are punished by going into a one-game playoff. I like that. I like that. You don't want to play in a one-game playoff? Win your division, LA. It's that simple. You didn't get it done, so now you're stuck in this one-game playoff. And then the people saying, well, a one-game playoff, it's so random, blah, blah, blah. It should be a three-game series. First off, no. Nobody wants to sit through a three-game wildcard series while the best teams get cold and get rusty. We want to get those teams on the field as soon as possible. You don't want to be sitting around in baseball. You don't want a week off in baseball. You want to be playing. Um, And, frankly, the drama, the TV, the the Hollywoodness of a one-game 
one game winner take all thing is is fantastic. Both of those games were edge of your seat action. Both of those games were must must see TV. So no, I think I like the one game playoff. I like the way it is right now. If you expand this and you give like the number one seed a buy, they're going to get rusty. They're going to get cold. You're going to see teams don't want to be the number one seed because they don't want to sit around for a week and let their guys get cold, have to play inner squad games just to stay fresh. No, I actually think it's working the way it is right now. I would stick with what you have right now, Um, but we'll see. We'll see if they expand playoffs, what they do. So those are my thoughts on the MLB playoffs right now. I'm frankly, I think I'm pulling for Tampa Bay, and I think I'm pulling for Milwaukee and San Francisco over in the NL. I think both of them have good stories. Milwaukee, you always tend to lean, you know, being a Clevelander, you always tend to lean to the other Midwest teams, the other small market teams. So, and Milwaukee just crushed us when they played us, and uh, they're good. They're a good baseball team. So, I think I'm pulling to see San Francisco square up against Milwaukee in the NLCS and Tampa Bay. I'd love the White Sox just to rep the American League Central and get a little street cred for the American League Central. It's like in uh, college football when like Wisconsin or Michigan or Michigan State or Penn State are playing in a bowl game. You tend to pull for them because it just makes Ohio State look a little better, right? It makes the Big Ten look better, makes Ohio State in turn look better. I'm an Ohio State Buckeye myself. It's the same thing here. I want the White Sox to beat Houston just to give a little street cred and make the American League Central look a little tougher of a division. But it doesn't look like it's going to go that way. So uh, I'll take Tampa Bay over Boston any day of the week. So we will see what happens next week when we come back and talk pitching. I'm sure there'll be some major developments here in the baseball playoffs. So thanks for sticking with me. These are going to be longer episodes because, frankly, there is so much to talk about to wrap up a 162-game season. It is, it is, it was almost mind boggling thinking about what I'm going to sit down and talk about. There is so much to talk about to wrap up the season. The good news is we've got all fall to talk about it, right? Who knows if the Indians are going to be like the first team out of the gate making moves. Something tells me we're going to be sitting here for a long time waiting to see what the 2022 Cleveland Guardians team is going to turn into. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. It was a ton to get through. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. I will do a mailbag episode, but for that to work, you got to fill the mailbag. So email me your thoughts on the season. Email me what you think about some of the guys I talked about today. Do you have strong feelings about Mercado, Zimmer, or Harold Ramirez? Did I miss something that you think one of these guys is worth the investment? email clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts and we'll discuss them on the show. You can also call in using the Anchor app, anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings. It's in the show notes. Go ahead and leave a voicemail and we'll play it back in the air. Respond to your thoughts and have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.